as soon as they leave your lips, I mean, as soon as they're out, you realize, man, I blew that. I shouldn't have said that. It's almost as if they're out there and you just wish you could grab them and bring them back. Uh, some of us do that uh, somewhat regularly, and I'm definitely one of those people. I can't tell you the number of times I've said stuff. I, I remember one of the times, to- you've said that, but I did not say. Thank you. I have way too many wives, don't I? I'm going to give you that cuff link as a, uh, in my defense, I did not say babies. I said some babies. Norfe was beautiful. I remember telling you that at the hospital when you asked me that. So, uh, yep, my wife tried to shut me up that day, and I just kept going, didn't I? Now, where was I? I completely lost. <laughs> like that, exactly. I remember when I was in college, uh, we had an event on campus. It was uh, Ambassador's Rally or something like that, and we had a bunch of high school kids uh, showed up. And, and uh, one of the guys in my dorm had a uh, youth ministry at a church, and he brought a bunch of kids with him to, to the weekend to be there. And, and they were this one kid was walking down the hall, and I looked at him, and, and one of his shoes looked like it was way too big. Now, what was weird is it, it wasn't bigger than the other one, but the, it almost looked like a clown shoe because it flapped with every step. It, the end of the shoe kind of flapped. And, and I looked at that, and I'm like, are your shoes big enough? And as soon as I said it, it fin- everything kind of just hit, and I'm like, oh, I wish I hadn't said it because he's like, uh, no, I got my foot cut off in a lawnmower accident. Oh, golly, I felt like an idiot. What do you say then? You just... I just walked away. I didn't know what, what to say. Have, have you done this? Some of you probably have. There's some guys here, but I bet there's a couple ladies that have done that. Have you ever pulled this one? I, this is one that I have learned the hard way and I don't do anymore. Have you ever gone up to someone, some lady, and, and like, oh, uh, are, are, are you pregnant? Uh, and to have them say, oh, I, uh, uh, we have a friend, Susanna, who was, was uh, in Mexico, and one of the missionaries went up to our friend Susanna and said, because she had just got married, she says, oh, when's the baby due? And, uh, and Susanna said, uh, I'm not pregnant, I'm just fat. She, and Susanna's a cool lady that way. Have you ever pulled one of those and like, oh, as soon as it's out, you wish I hadn't said that? Or, 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 or maybe like this, I did this one time when I went up to a, uh, to a guy, and there was a, a lady with him, and I, and, I was visiting with, I said, hey, is this, uh, uh, is, is this your, your, your mom? And he said, uh, no, it's my wife. <laughs> Last week, we, we started in John chapter 14. We actually looked more in John chapter 13 at this, this, this text that really comes on the heels of his disciples saying something that they shouldn't have said, saying something that that as soon as it came out of their mouth, they were like, oh, I wish I hadn't have, have said that. We, we're going to look today at the words that Jesus spoke, those, those powerful, meaningful, comforting words that Jesus said right after, right after his disciples put their foot in their mouth. Now, now specifically, if you want to, if you want to look at one person, Peter was the most guilty. But the other disciples had done the same thing as well. So, 
So they'd come together. We talked about this a little bit last week. Let me just kind of do a quick review. They'd come together for the Passover meal. Now, now this was the most important religious celebration on the Jewish calendar. So, so it's like if we would take uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas and Easter and our birthday dinner, if we would take all of those dinners and roll them up into one, one meal and, and, and make that, that the most important meal of our, of our year, that's what the Passover was. Plus, you add to it the, the deep spiritual implication of that meal. And, and so that's what the Passover meal was like. And so the Passover meal was, was for them remembering what had happened. They, they literally remembered that God had passed them over. And that was a good thing because the last plague of Egypt was to take the, the firstborn child, uh, uh, whether it was child or animal of, of the Egyptians. And, and it was the blood of the Passover lamb that was put on the doorpost. Remember that? They put it on the doorpost. And because that blood was there, the death angel passed over them. It was a, it was a, a, a precursor to what would happen with Jesus because the blood of the lamb who was Jesus would cause that to happen to us, that God would pass over us and our sin wouldn't uh, wouldn't count for us. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This meal was so important, so important that Jews from all over the world would celebrate it. And not just that, but Jews from all over the world would travel, would make a journey, a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, to the holy city, just so they could celebrate the meal in Jerusalem. Oftentimes, it was like a bucket list thing. They would spend great, uh, a great amount of money, great amount of time, so they could be there to celebrate it. And, and for them, it wasn't like you could just jump in the family truckster and be there in a few hours or jump on a plane and arrive for the weekend. They would often have to travel for days, weeks, or maybe even months. I say that so you don't underestimate the importance of what was going on in John chapter 13 and John chapter 14 as they went into the upper room to celebrate this meal. And then this big fupa, this big slight took place. No one washed their feet. No one washed the, the dirt of the Roman roads off their feet. No one... In, in, in what a, would have been spiritual significance, wash the dirt off to get their, their, not just their bodies, but also their spirits and their souls ready for what they were going to do during that Passover meal. So we talked about this last week that, uh, that unbeknownst to them, Jesus, with, with all this weighing on his heart, all the, the fact that he knew he was going to become the lamb, that would be sacrificed. Paul said in First Corinthians or Second First Corinthians five seven, for Christ is our Passover Lamb. He's been crucified. So, so Jesus got up from the table because no one else had done it, and and began to wash his feet. So we looked at last week at at two things. We kind of kind of talked about two things that we we learned from that. First of all, we have to to appreciate uh, Peter. Peter, when when Jesus got to him, said, "No, Jesus, don't, I don't want you to wash my feet too." Uh, and, and, and Jesus said, well, if I don't wash your feet, you don't, ha- you have no part of me. So, so we, we have to appreciate Peter's humility. We have to appreciate the fact that Peter understood who Jesus was and who he was. 
uh, and put that in perspective. But we also have to see the heart of service that Jesus had. Even with the cross on his mind, even with what was going to happen uh, in just a few short hours, Jesus, Jesus served his disciples. So right on the hills of this happening, right, right after Peter had declared, hey, Jesus, I, I'm not going to deny you, and the other disciples jumped into, right on the hills of their bold proclamation of bravery, a bravery that for each and every one would melt away into fear that would cause them to deny Jesus, right, right on the hills of that going on, understanding that, that it would hit them hard. Understanding that they would be grief stricken. He, he knew how Peter responded. In fact, scripture tells us that when the rooster crowed, Peter went away and wept bitterly. He knew that they would be aware of the fail, failure. With the knowledge that their hearts would be heavy because of they denied Jesus. With the knowledge that their world would be turned upside down. With the knowledge that they would think there was no hope. With the knowledge that Several times, even in the future, ministering for Jesus, they would face persecution, they would face torture, they would face rejection, and even death. Jesus gave them this teaching. Jesus gave them these words of comfort and hope. So church, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 14. Let's, let's look at the words of Jesus, and then we're going to examine four, four I am statements that Jesus made. And church, understand that that Jesus said these words with the knowledge that we were going to be in the same boat, with the knowledge that we were going to blow it, with the knowledge that we were going to make a mistake, with the knowledge that, that we were going to walk through trials and temptations. Jesus gave these words of comfort. Look with me in John chapter 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so... I would have told you I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may be also where I am. And you know the way to the place where I'm going. But Thomas said to the Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus makes four I am statements. Maybe you just denied Jesus, but he says, I am. Maybe you've fallen to that same sin again, but he says, I am. Maybe you're facing a trial that you don't think you can endure, but he says, I am. Maybe your world's turned upside down, your heart's broken, but he says, I am. Maybe you find yourself in a dark place and it appears that you don't have any hope, but he says, I am. Or maybe you don't know where to turn, but he says, I am. First thing he says is, I am worthy of trust. Look at verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. It's kind of the, the overall statement that applies to each, uh, each of the four statements. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. He says, I am worthy of trust, so believe in me. Jesus is speaking here to a specific need, a specific scenario, a specific situation that the disciples would be facing. Did you notice that he framed this, I am worthy of trust, by first saying, by, by first kind of making that comment, you trust in God. Uh, he, he frames it by saying, well, you have this belief in God, so, 
So believe in me because I am worthy of trust. At their core was, at the core of disciples was a belief and a trust in God. Maybe, it, maybe a better way to put it is that there was a longing for God, a desire to know God, a hope uh, to, to be close to Him and, uh, and, and to find purpose in Him. C.S. Lewis would describe it this way, that it was a God consciousness. Uh, his disciples, his disciples, when they first met Jesus, had this, this desire to know and be with God awakened and realized. And maybe for, maybe for some of them for the first time, God was real to them and it was personal and it made sense. And, and so Jesus is saying, when your heart is troubled, because, because they didn't realize it, but it was coming real quick. It was going to happen just in a couple hours. It was going to happen in a few days. It was going to happen months down the road and maybe even for some of them years down the road if they lived that long. When your heart is troubled, remember back to that core value, that core trust. In specific, he knew that they would be doubting who he was. That's why he said, you trust in God. So when your hearts are troubled, hey, trust me. Trust in me. He knew specifically, he knew specifically that they would be struggling with that in just, in just a short time. In just a short time, they would be doubting who he was. See, see, they thought he was the Messiah, which he was, but they thought he was going to make everything turn out a certain way. It was going to be great. It was going to be perfect. And Jesus says, I'm worthy of trust. Believe in me. Even, even if I don't show up the way you think I'm going to show up. Now, the reality is this would happen over and over again for these followers of Jesus. Over and over again, there were going to be times that Jesus didn't show up the way they thought. Three days later, Jesus would come back to life, and man, they thought everything was good. Like, wow, we couldn't believe it happened this way, but sweet, Jesus back to life. This is great. And and then Jesus left again, but he, he left him and said, hey, I'm going to give you the Spirit, and everything's going to be good. But but after just a few weeks of preaching the gospel about Jesus, and, and things were going great, people were being converted by the thousands I mean, literally, they would preach, and people would line up. They would have a, a line of people waiting to be baptized. I don't know how they did it. I don't know if they had had several of the disciples baptizing one right after another. I don't know how it was happening. If they went down the Jordan, they just lined up the, the, the banks of the Jordan. I don't know how they did it, but thousands of people were coming to know the Lord that were being baptized into him. So right in the middle of that happening, and they're thinking, this is pretty cool, they got arrested. And Scripture doesn't tell us this, but but you, you just have to wonder, at least at the very start, did they think, no, it's not supposed to be this way, Jesus. You're not supposed to, you're not supposed to show up this way. We're, we're, we're converting people. We're not supposed to end up in prison. But, but even if it did, if it entered their mind, we know that quickly it went away and and I wonder if they didn't remember back to Jesus' words that night when he said, trust in God, trust also in me, because we know they did. In Acts chapter 5, verse 41, after one of the times they got arrested, it says they were flogged. Now, now, now catch the idea of flogged. It wasn't, they didn't just get a, a smack on the bottom. They got flogged. They got beaten because they were, they were followers of Christ. And notice what verse 41 says. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy 
of suffering disgrace for the name. I've got to believe they thought back and remembered when we face trouble, when our hearts are troubled, trust in me. They knew that Jesus was worthy of trust, even, even if he didn't show up the way they thought. I was, uh, I was fairly young at the time. I don't, I don't remember how we were, but I know all, all six of us kids were still in the house and, and probably uh, before high school age. And, and our church had some type of party. I don't, it wasn't a Halloween party, but it was a costume party of, of some reason. I, I, I don't remember what the specific, specifics of that was. And, and I don't remember why it was so important, but I remember us six kids begging our dad to come to that party. Mom was going to come. We knew that, but, but, uh, and all six of us, but we begged dad to come. Now that wasn't, dad was a regular church attender, but, but going to something like that really wasn't his thing. And, and I don't know if, uh, if, if we got special credit, if they, someone had impressed on us, hey, be sure to bring mom and dad both. I don't know what it was, but, but it was one of those things that I remember specifically us kids asking dad to come along. And, and the night came for the, the party. We got all dressed up in whatever garb we had and, and we got ready to leave and dad was still sitting in his recliner and no kids, I'm not going to go. And so I remember going to the church and, and being just a little disappointed. And we got there and things, things started and we were, we were fine. But still kind of in the back of the mind, like, man, kind of bummed. You know? Now, my mom was there. She didn't dress up because that wasn't her thing either. She's going to show up, but she's not going to dress up. And so we're there, and, and about, about a half hour into the event, some person shows up, and they, it's obvious that they're not real, that, that they're, they're a guy, but they're dressed like a lady. I mean, and had a mask on, but a wig and a dress and stockings. Um, is that what you call them? Pantyhose, whatever, you know. And, and high hills. And I remember, I mean, everyone's trying to figure out who is that guy. Later in the evening when, I, I don't, I don't know why, but later in that evening, it was the reveal and, and the mask was pulled back and it was my dad. I thought lots of things. <laughs> I didn't know whether to be concerned, uh, embarrassed, but you know, the one thing I remember and and those things, I, 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 I may have thought those, but that's not what I remember. You know what I do remember? He came. He showed up. Not like I'd planned, but he showed up. And, and maybe it was a little bit later it kind of hit me. He had always planned on showing up. We don't have to think very hard to come up with times that we prayed that Jesus would show up in a certain time or in a specific way or with a predetermined answer only to have it seem as if he didn't show up at all or certainly not the way we wanted or expected or planned. Maybe it was a job we wanted that didn't pan out. Maybe it was a mate that we prayed for that didn't show up. Maybe maybe it was a healing that we wanted and didn't didn't happen. Maybe it was a relationship repaired and it remained broken. Maybe it was a blessing that, that we just were sure God was going to give us and it just didn't materialize and et cetera, et cetera, on and on. We, we don't have to think very hard to come up with times like that when our hearts are troubled. And Jesus says, I am. I am worthy of trust. I'm worthy of trust. Believe in me. When, when your hearts are troubled, 
remember I am. And here's the second, here's the second thing. He says, I'm going to prepare. I, I, I'm going to prepare. Look what he says in, um, in verse three. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may be where I am going. That's actually the next two points. But he says, I am going to prepare. So understand your place. Jesus plants the seed in his disciples' hearts that, that when they're troubled, when, when life doesn't make sense, remember that he's preparing a place. So, so understand your place. I, I think there's two thoughts that he wants us to catch when there's two, two teachings or two ideas. First of all, he's implying that if he's going to prepare a place, and really it's not implied because in, in chapter 13, verse 33, he said it Im, implicitly. Verse 33 says, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, I tell you now where I'm going, you can't, you cannot come. So he said it specifically. Hey, I'm going somewhere. You're not going to be there. But, but, but he's somewhat implying also that, that the place that I'm going is not your place. Your place is now and your place is here. See, your place is here about kingdom work. Uh, it, later on in John chapter 14 and verse uh, 15, he promises them help. He promises them the Holy Spirit. The Father's going to send someone that will walk beside you and help you. Jesus is saying, I'm going, but you're staying. I'm going, but you need to understand your purpose is kingdom work. Th- that's why, that's why Jesus said in, in these last few days, these last few hours, literally said some powerful things. Uh, chapter 13, verse uh, 15. Look at that verse there. He says, I've set you an example that you should do uh, do as I have done for you uh, about the washing of the disciples' feet. Chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know you, my disciples, if you have love one for another. Chapter 15, verses 12 and 13. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Jesus also said in those last days, the first will be last, the last will be first. He also said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. When Jesus saves us, he leaves us here. Let me say that again. When Jesus saves us, he leaves us here. Wouldn't it be nice that if when Jesus saved us, he would take us? Wouldn't it be great that when we committed ourselves to him and, and accepted, wouldn't it be great when BJ was baptized today that suddenly he just disappeared? We, we would have been a little freaked out, but, 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 hey, I accept Jesus and man, I'm, I'm already with him. I don't have to put up with any of the temptations or the struggles or the trials. Wouldn't it have been great? But that's not what it is. Jesus saves us and then he leaves us here. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.20, it's for this reason. He says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We, we are his ambassadors. There, there had to have been some, there had to been some difficult time for Jesus' disciples when their hearts were troubled. And they remember that Jesus said, yeah, but I'm going to prepare. I'm, I'm, I'm making ready. 
and, and implied with that, if I'm making ready, then you're where you're supposed to be. This is where I want you. So, so, so I'm still in control of what you're doing here. In Acts chapter 8, uh, the book uh, tells us that uh, a general persecution started for the church. Uh, Saul, who later became a believer and his name was changed to Paul, Saul was, uh, was metering out uh, uh, persecution against church. It was so bad in Jerusalem that a lot of the believers fled the city. One of the, one of the believers who was a deacon who fled the city was a guy named Philip. Now, Philip left, and, and as he ran for his life, he might have been thinking, man, my heart is trouble. What is going on? I'm trying to follow God and follow Jesus, and man, I'm, I'm fearing for my life. He might have been, in, been discouraged, but, but instead we know that he was encouraged. Because we see later in chapter 8 of Acts, uh, of the book of Acts, that, that he ran across, across this guy. He was in a, he was in a chariot and he was reading from the book of Isaiah. And Philip stopped and said, Hey, you want me to tell you what those verses mean? Yeah, I have no idea what he's talking about. I'm just reading it. And Philip begins to talk to him about how they were fulfilled in Jesus. And then he took the guy down in a body of water and baptized him. It, it was, it was just a little bit later, that same guy that, had caused Philip to flee, Saul, who later became Paul. Uh, Paul, the persecutor, became the persecuted. And in, in chapter 16 of Acts, we find Paul in a, a Philippian jail. And he's down in, in the bottom of this jail. It's about midnight, and Paul had to be thinking a little bit. At least it had to creep in his mind that his heart was a little troubled, like, man, this isn't supposed to happen. But we see him at midnight in the jail singing and praying and praising God. And because of that, the Philippian jailer and all of his family, and we assume probably some of the other inmates, became believers. There will be times in our life when our hearts are troubled, but maybe, just maybe, God has put you there to be his ambassador. And, and so he reminds you, I am. I am preparing a place. But, but, but understand your place. Your place is here right now. But, but that leads us to the second thing, and that's really our next point. It, it, it's not about just here, but, but if he's going to prepare a place, and that means he's going to prepare a place. It, it's about a future place, uh, place. Uh, and, and so he says, if I go, then I'm coming again. I am coming again. If your hearts are troubled, if this world seems to get you down, if this is, this world is difficult, hey, 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 be encouraged. I, I'm coming again. So get to the point. This isn't your home. This isn't the end. This isn't all that we have. Jesus is preparing a place for us. In October, Reed and I are, uh, are going, uh, flying to San Juan, Puerto Rico and getting on a cruise ship. We, we've, We've cruised several times before, and, and uh, cruising is for some people. For some people, it's not. Some people hate it, but we tend to, we actually are ones that like it. So, so there are some great things about cruising. Number one, it's vacation. So vacation is good no matter what you're doing. But, but, but cruising is great. The food is wonderful. Uh, the ports that you go to are, are wonderful. The, did I mention this? The food is wonderful. You can eat all day long. I don't know how I'm going to do that with my diet. I'm taking... Uh, I'm going to take a whole week off, and I don't even care. So the, the food is great. Another thing that's great about cruise, the service. Oh, wow. There are people that, that just want to serve you. You, you, go, you go to the meal times, and, 
And there's someone that will meet you and take you to your seat, and they'll pull out your chair for you, and what do you want to drink? And after a couple days, they recognize that I always drink Diet Coke, and there'll be a Diet Coke sitting there for me when I get there, and and they just keep them coming. I don't even have to ask. They keep my Diet Cokes flowing, and... and, uh, and so, what do you want? And, and we ordered, and, and if you don't like, if you're not eating something that they brought, they're like, is there something wrong with your steak? Hey, I'll go get you another one. I'll, you want the lobster instead? Oh, it is wonderful. And one of the things I like the best about, well, that's probably the best, but, but one of the other things that I really love about the service is when you go back to your room at night, the, well, in the morning, the bed's made. <laughs> Our rule is last one out of the bed makes the bed. That sometimes works, sometimes doesn't, but that's the rule. Uh, but they do it. They don't care who's the last one out. You go back, the bed's made. And when you go back in the evening after supper, you, you, your, your room, your, it's, your bed's turned down, and there's like a, a little chocolate or some, some little gift on the pillow, and this cute little, they, they take a towel and do little, I don't even know, what do you call that, but they make them into animals, a monkey or a, uh, I don't know what all they, but, but I'm like, wow, that's cool. They even teach you how to do that on the trip if you want. I'm, I'm going to have Reed and learn that. Because uh, I really think she should have one of those on my pillow every night, don't you? At least a chocolate. <laughs> What's the chances, hon? It's lemonade. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Man, I, I, I love, we love going on cruises. And I, I guess I could get used to someone serving my every need and pulling my chair out and making sure I have a Diet Coke. I guess I, I could get used to having a, a little monkey on, the, on the, the pillow and a chocolate. But you know, after about a week, I'm ready to go home. After a week, I'm, it's, it's great. You know, I'm ready to go again in two or three, four years. But, uh, but I'm ready to go home. And Jesus says, I'm preparing a place, and if I'm preparing it, then that's the place, and so I'm coming back. So if your hearts are troubled, and and, and he says later in John, you know, we're, we're going to have trouble in this world. We're, we're, we're not immune from heartache, and we're not immune from sickness, and we're not immune from pain, and we're not immune from disappointment, But but I'm coming again. And then he says in, in verse 6, the last one, he says, I am, I am the way. I am the only way. I am the only way, so follow me. Jason, if you guys want to come on up. Missionary to Africa, E. Stanley Jones tells this story that he was told from another missionary said another missionary had gone out into the the bush to visit a a somewhat remote tribe and and uh, and he got out in the bush and got lost and uh, he he was starting to freak out he was he found himself on a trail and that trail just ended right in the middle of the the jungle just stopped dead and tried to backtrack and find another trail and Man, he, he was starting to get, get really nervous and starting to get really afraid of, of what was going to happen when finally he burst into a clearing and there was a village there. Uh, and he went into the village. Luckily, the, the dialect they spoke was one he understood or was at least able to communicate a little bit and began to tell them who he was and, 
and, and asked, was there anyone in, in the village that could take him back? And he named the city, the little village that he was trying to get back to. And could, could anyone lead them there? And one guy said, I can lead you there. And so, so the next morning, uh, he spent the night there. The next morning he got up and the guy, guy met him and, and they headed out into the jungle and, and said, they, they walked for a trail on a trail for a while and then eventually just, into the jungle, and the guy had a machete in his hand, and and he was whacking at the the, the jungle undergrowth, and they'd whack away, and they'd go a little further, and then he'd he'd hit he'd uh, clear some of the, the path again, and kept going, and and uh, after just a short time of this, he said the missionary began to get a little concerned, like does this guy have any idea what he's doing? And so they they went on about another hour, and finally he said to him, he said, you know, so I'm getting a, a little bit concerned here. He said. Where's the path? Where's the path? Said so the man paused for a second and turned to look at him, wiped the sweat from his brow a little bit, and he said, In this place there is no path. I am the path. I am the path. Jesus says, When when you're on that troubled road, and we're gonna be there. I've been there. Rita's been there. Some of you have been there. Maybe you're there right now. Maybe it's just around the corner where you're going to be on that path and and life doesn't make sense and you are troubled in spirit and in heart. And Jesus says, I am. I am. I'm still God. I've still got it. I'm still in control because I'm the only way. I am the path. Would you bow with me? Father, we thank you this morning that we have hope through Jesus. That even when we find ourselves in in trouble, even when our hearts are breaking, even when we're unsure about our next step or where you would have us to go, that you're still there. You're still there. We we need to trust in you. We need to trust in you, Father. We you you are preparing a place. So you have us here for a reason and a purpose. And and you're coming back because you're getting a place ready for us that is our home. And all we have to do is follow. All we have to do is trust you and put our trust and our faith and our lives in your hands. Father, uh, for the ones here this morning that are in those moments now, Lord, I pray that they can that they can hear the I am statements and know you're there. We pray this in Jesus' name. Would you stand as we sing this morning? If you need, if you need prayer today, if you need someone to, to surround you with the, with the promise and the truth that, that Jesus is, that he's still I am, and just someone to walk with you through that, would you come and share that this morning as we sing?